thing I want to say before we, we continue with our service is I just really want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Uh, thank you for this opportunity to be your pastor. And I look forward to loving you and, and serving you as I love the Lord our God and serve him with all of my heart. So thank you for this opportunity. Before we go into prayer, into the word of God, I want to uh, give a couple plugs here for, for just a moment. I want to let our men know that there's a men's retreat coming up April the 21st to the 22nd. It's at Camp Rockmont over near Asheville, and Daryl's asked me to speak at that retreat, and I look forward to, to being with the men and speaking with you guys, and we're going to talk about the subject of biblical friendship, and what does it really mean to be a friend, a one to the other um, in this life. So I hope you can come to that. There's a sign-up on the church website, so be sure and look at that. And I'm sent an email earlier this week. I hope you received it. But next week, we're going to be starting the book of Philippians, a verse-by-verse study of that Pauline epistle uh, to the church at Philippi. So look forward to starting that with you next week. And it's my goal, one of my goals is also to visit with the small groups here at, at Redeemer. I know the small groups are such an important part of our ministry here. It's a microcosm of the church. So I hope to get around and and uh, start visiting with you at, at small group. So looking forward to that. But if you now join me in a time of prayer, let's go to the Lord and lift up our supplications and requests to Him in a time of prayer. Pray with me, please. Our God and Heavenly Father, we come to You the only way we can, and that is through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, you said in your word that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to the Father except through you. And we know that you made a way to God when we found ourselves to be sinners, when we learned that we were separated from you because of our own sinfulness and our depravity. Lord Jesus, you reached out to us with such great love, and you came to this earth you lived a perfect life, and you died on the cross for our sins, that we can be saved from our sins and have eternal life by grace through faith in your name. And you made a way for a sinful man to approach a holy God, Lord Jesus, by justifying us by your grace and your mercy. And God, for that we give you thanks. And Father, as we come now for a time of prayer, of, of supplication. Lord, we recognize that we have many needs among us. You said in your word to cast our cares upon you, for you do indeed care for us. So being faithful to that command in Scripture, Father, we lift up, first of all, those parents in our congregation who are adopting. God, we think about Melissa Hines right now who is in China getting Ethan. We think about Christine who's assisting her. And God, we pray your blessing upon those two for their safety in trial, in, in travel, their, your provision while they're there. And God, we even pray for Ethan's salvation, that you would unite him to Christ by faith, that he would hear the gospel and respond. God, we pray for Dan and Eliza Johnson as they go through the process of adopting as well. Bless them and watch over them in this time. We think about our expecting moms. We pray for April, April Lesh and her 
pregnancy for a safe and healthy delivery. God, we think about Janelle and Grizz knowing that the time is soon at hand and we pray for a safe and healthy delivery and for strength for their family, God. And God, we give you thanks for the birth of Emma Jane Beeshold and we rejoice with Steve and Kelly Joe, Lily Kate and Molly Grace about this new wonderful addition to their family. And God, just as we prayed for Ethan, we also pray for Emma Jane's salvation and all of these children's salvation, Father, that they would come to know you that you would draw them savingly to yourself. God, we thank you so much for Sandy Lawson. We're thankful that she no longer has to endure those painful chemo drugs that were so tough for her to handle. But Lord, as she now sets out for a future PET scan and a future course of treatment, we pray for your guidance of those doctors for the diagnosis and for the care and provision moving forward. And we do pray for her healing and ask that you strengthen her spiritually physically, emotionally, and even mentally. God, we pray for our missionaries in Togo through New Harvest Mission. God, we pray for the church planting efforts that we support in Mexico and even the seminary there, that men and women will continue to be trained for the gospel ministry and that the church plant would be established and the gospel would flourish. God, as we reflect upon what you've done here at Redeemer, we do give you great thanks for my dear brother, Dean Faulkner. Thank you how he used him to plant this church, how he served faithfully preaching your word here for so many years. And God, we ask your blessings upon Dean and Elizabeth as they, knew, as they moved to plant another church here in our presbytery. And God, we do thank you for Dr. Milton and his work of faithfulness as transitional pastor here at Redeemer for his time with the elders and deacons and staff and so many members. I thank you specifically for his time with me. God, I thank you for our brother Daryl and all the elders and deacons and those who have served in preaching this pulpit over these last few months and their, and their work of labor of love for you. And now, Lord, finally, I thank you for these church members. And I thank you for uniting their hearts with mine in this, in this new calling. And God, I pray that you would continue to bond us together pastor with flock and that you would bond us together for the cause of Christ that the gospel of Jesus Christ might go forth in this world that we would be established in your word and that we would all continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ it's in his name we pray and all God's people said amen if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I have three passages we're going to read at this time. The first one is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. The second one from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. And the last one from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. I want you to know this is not normal. We're not going to have normally all a bunch of different passages to read at one time. But this is a special Sunday, a Sunday to focus upon the mission of our church. And I want you to hear these passages from the Word of God that teach us about the mission of the church of the Redeemer. So first of all, from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 
that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And now 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it's the last verse of the book. It says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And then finally, from the book of Matthew, we know it as the Great Commission, the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, now, even, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Beloved, the grass will wither and the flowers will fall, but the word of God will stand forever. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, this is your word. It is true that all in it says and teaches because you, God, are the supreme author. And I pray, God, that your word would go forth today through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive the things of God. We are thankful for truth in a world that's filled with lies. And as we approach your word, God, may we approach it with eagerness and hunger Continue, Lord, to mold us and shape us into the image of Christ. If there is one person here today who has never trusted Christ for salvation, may they hear the gospel and may they receive it by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as most of you know, I grew up in a town in East Tennessee, Bristol, Tennessee. And there in Bristol, I grew up in a strong Southern Baptist church. My parents took me to church when I, since I was a little boy. In fact, I can't remember a time of my life where my life wasn't influenced by the church. And I praise God for that. I came to know the Lord when I was six years old in that church and um, got into youth group. And I had a youth pastor who challenged me to memorize the scriptures and to learn how to share the gospel with people. And I got really excited about the Lord. And I was very convicted about being a strong Southern Baptist young man. But in 1995, I went to college. I went to a Presbyterian college in, in East Tennessee, King College. And I was immediately challenged with Reformed theology, Presbyter what I would call Presbyterianism. And I didn't like it at all, not one bit. In fact, you know what I said? I, I remember saying this. I remember saying, all Presbyterians do is take Scripture and they manipulate it. They make it say what they want it to say. And that was my mentality. That was my arrogance. I was so naive as a young man. But from that point on, you know what happened? God challenged me with his word. He challenged me to read and study his word. And I want you to know that it took about two, two and a half years. But over my freshman and sophomore year of college, the more I studied God's word, the more reformed I became. So by the time I was a junior... The Lord did something amazing in my life. He brought Deirdre into my life. I can remember it was August 1997. I was a resident assistant, so I was on campus early and driving through the campus with my buddy Mark. And I looked up and we saw these two twins walking towards us. And come to find out it was 
Deirdre and her twin sister, Danielle. We had never seen these girls before. We knew that they were probably freshmen. And I remember driving down the road with my buddy Mark. We were driving down the road, and, and the, the twins were walking this way. And we kind of looked this way, and they were looking at us. And I looked at my buddy Mark, and I said, you're not going to believe it. God made two of them. <laughs> it didn't take long that Deirdre and I got to know each other, and we started dating. And I learned that Deirdre was actually the daughter of a PCA pastor, and she was reformed in her theology. And I want you to know that I stepped back from that, and I saw the timing in which God brought us together. And I learned that God had used those first two years of college in my life to challenge me with reformed theology, and he had trained my mind and my heart, and he did that to get me ready to meet Deirdre at the right time. Because, beloved, by the time we met, our theology, our thinking about God, our biblical understanding, they were in alignment. It was amazing. God had worked on me to prepare me to be aligned with the right girl at the right time. You know, alignment is a very important thing. You know, if you plan on spending a long time with someone, it's good that you see that your thoughts, your mission, your vision are aligned. Now, I tell you that story just so I can tell you another story. You ready? About a year and a half ago, I started praying to the Lord, Lord, what would be a healthy mission and vision for your church? And I started studying the scriptures Specifically, Christ's command to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. To love your neighbor as yourself. And Peter's command, as we read today, to grow in grace. And being a math guy, I majored in mathematics. God put it upon my heart to express that vision this way. First of all, look up. As you're looking up, you're loving God with all your heart. You're worshiping God. Secondly, to look out. To love your neighbor as yourself, to evangelize and serve and give mercy. And then thirdly, to look in, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, to be discipled, to be grounded in God's word. So look up, look out, look in became the vision that drove me for a, for a healthy church. Well, it was a couple months after that, that continuing in my prayer life, God put it upon my heart to put in my application here at Church of the Redeemer. And as I did, I read the packet that your pulpit committee created, this profile packet that your committee, they worked so hard on it to give to candidates for the gospel ministry here at Redeemer. And as Deirdre and I were looking through that packet, we saw your mission. We saw your vision. And you expressed it this way, gathering, grounding, Growing and going. And as we looked at your mission statement and we looked at what God had put on my heart with looking up, out, and in, we saw alignment. We saw unity. We were both saying the same thing, just in different ways. When you say gathering, we're going to gather to look up. When you say going, we're looking out, aren't we? 
When you say grounding and growing, we're looking in to be discipled, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And what Deirdre and I saw was this unity, this agreement, this alignment. So beloved, the first thing I want you to know is that the mission that God has already placed on your hearts, he's placed on mine as well. And because of that, we should rejoice that there's alignment, there's agreement, because we want to be in this thing together, don't we? The mission of the church, beloved, you say it, gathering, grounding, growing and going. Let's look at that, that mission of the Church of the Redeemer in this sermon today to see what that actually means. First of all, let's look at that first G, what you call, or what we call, I'll say, gathering. A couple verses that Daryl read a moment ago from Matthew 22. It says, Go therefore to the main roads and invite, the wedding, and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out to the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. For those of you who are married here today, do you remember making up that wedding list of invitations? If you're like Deirdre and me, that list probably included family and friends and loved ones. And you probably limited, limited that list to people you actually knew. Right? But did you ever think about going into the town that you lived in, maybe to the main roads and streets, and just inviting anybody and everybody to your wedding? Did you think about that? I know I didn't. And I definitely know my father-in-law didn't think about that because he was paying for the wedding. <laughs> but did you see what this text said? You see, the Bible says to us today that our Heavenly Father, is he's hosting a wedding feast. And that wedding feast is for his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And when God made up his invitation list, yes, he actually included anybody. And everybody to come. You see, God has given us, his servants, this direct command to go into the streets of this world and to deliver a divine invitation to come and gather. To gather. Come gather at the wedding feast of the Lamb. You see, this invitation doesn't have any boundaries like our invitation. There's no boundaries of family or friends. There's no boundaries of race or social status. There's no boundaries of countries or continents. And as the scripture said a moment ago, even those who were considered good or bad. The invitation is to come to the whole world. Come. Come to Christ. Come and gather with the Son of God. Come to the wedding feast of the Lamb. You see, we as the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, we communicate this invitation when we say, as Jesus says, Come, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and Christ will give you rest. Come to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God. And yes, He will take away your sins because He takes away the sins of the world. 
And we communicate this good news that Christ is the Lamb of God. And we pray for these people and wait for God to draw them to salvation by grace through faith. And as God does this work in their hearts, these folks, they come. They come to the wedding feast. They gather with the people of God. Right now in your life, I want you to think about the people who gave you this invitation. Somewhere in your history, someone proclaimed Christ to you and invited you to gather with God's people. Think about the God of this universe who changed your heart and your mind and turned you from sin towards Jesus Christ that you might come and gather with the people of God. Look around yourselves now to see this great gathering. This is the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, where God has called his church to gather and to not get in the habit of avoiding this, but making this part of your weekly worship. Beloved, the first part of our mission is this gathering, this gathering of the people of God, holding up that wedding invitation, come, come and gather with the Son. But secondly, the Bible says after we have gathered, we need to be grounded. One of the clearest illustrations in all of Scripture about something being firmly grounded came from that passage Daryl read a moment ago out of Psalm 1. You see, that psalm talks about two different kinds of people the blessed man and the wicked man. And as this psalm talks about the blessed man, it says that the blessed man is the one who delights in God's law, the one who meditates on God's word day and night. That means he has a great love for Scripture, you know. He reads it, he studies it, he memorizes it, and he certainly applies it to his life. And the Bible says because he is like that, here it is, he's like a tree. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. This tree is a vital tree. It's deep-rooted. It's nourished. It is strong, it's fruitful, it's productive. And because of this, we see that that tree is firmly grounded. Kids here today, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been out in the woods and just saw a tree and you went up and you wanted to grab that tree to see if you could shake it or move it, maybe pull it up out of the ground? I was like that as a boy. I, you know, I like being rough and stuff like that, playing football. So I remember when I was a boy, I'd go grab a tree, hug it, and I'd see if I could rock it. I'd see if I could pull the roots up. And you know what? I never could, even small trees, because I didn't see what was under the ground, right? I didn't see how deep those roots went. I didn't see how firmly grounded it was. I only saw what was above the ground. See, this tree is a picture of something that is being constantly nourished and grounded. And the Bible says, just like that tree, the blessed man is the one who is nourished and grounded by the word of God. 
Paul says it this way. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. You see, beloved, when we are grounded by the scriptures, the scriptures do at least four things for us. Paul says it this way. First of all, they teach us. They teach us. Now, what does that word presuppose? If you need to be taught, that means we don't know everything, right? That we need to learn. And that's what God's word does for us. It teaches us what we need to know about God and what duty God requires of man. But secondly, it's there for reproof. Now, no one likes that word. To be reproved means to be told that you've done something wrong. And certainly when we lie, what does Scripture say? Thou shalt not lie. When we envy what our neighbor has, what does the Scripture say? Don't covet. Yes, the Scripture is there to reprove us, but it doesn't stop there because the third thing it does is correct us. See, to reprove someone means to tell them they're wrong. But to correct someone means to tell them how to do it right. I was a math teacher for a long time. And let's say I gave you a problem and the problem was two plus two and you put down five. What would I do? I'd put a big X on it, wouldn't I? I'd reprove you. But if I stop there, I'm not being a good teacher. Because not only should I tell you that you're wrong, but I should show you how to do it correctly. I should show you how to do it rightly. That's what Scripture does. It doesn't just tell us, give us reproof. It gives us correction. So, for instance, husbands and wives, when we are not having things right in our marriage, God corrects us as husbands and teaches us how to love our wives as Christ loves the church. It teaches wives how to respect and honor your husband. Children, if things aren't going well at home with your parents, the Bible corrects you and teaches you how to obey your parents and the Lord for, for this is right. And for every single one of us who find ourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, when God shows us our sin, he doesn't just leave us there, but he points us to the right answer, who is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only correction for sinners in need of grace. So scripture's there to teach, to reprove, to correct, and then finally, training in righteousness. I love that word training. It's an athletic term. Maybe some of you in this life, you've, you've played a sport, football, baseball, soccer, cross country. Were you a very good athlete? Were you a very good player the first day of practice? <laughs> Probably not. I remember that first day of football. I was the biggest kid out there. I wanted to quit. <laughs> but what did we all have to do in our sport? We had to train. Day in, day out. It involves discipline. That involves time. That involves effort. And that's what training in the scriptures requires. Discipline, time, and effort. Because by doing those things, teaching, reproving, correcting, and training in righteousness, God is grounding you in the scriptures. So you will be like that tree by the stream of water who is nourished, who is flourishing, who is strong. And when the storms of life come up and they grab a hold of you like I grabbed that tree and they try to shake you from one side to the other, you're going to stand firm because you're grounded in the truth of Scripture.
There are so many times in life, beloved, when the storms of life are going to come your way and you're going to want to turn to something that is solid, that is foundational. That's the Word of God. Like that tree planted by the stream of water. We need to be grounded in the Scriptures. Thirdly, our mission statement teaches us that yes, there is gathering, yes, there is grounding, but now there is growing. You see, grounding looks at the roots of that tree, right? What's under the ground. But growing looks at the top of that tree. It looks at the fruit that is produced in the Christian life. Peter said it this way, 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want another story? Some of you know Dare to Teach's group fitness classes over in East Lincoln County. And she teaches a, a wide range of, of, of people, young, uh, middle-aged, older folks. But a couple weeks ago, she had a man come into her class, and, and he, he knew that Deirdre was a, a Christian, was a believer. But he came into her class, and he, he went up to talk to her about, um, about his faith. And here's what he said. He said that he had reached a point in his spiritual life where he didn't sin anymore. Basically, he told Deirdre that he had stopped growing in his faith because in his mind, he'd reached the top. He'd reached the pinnacle of that mountain. There was nowhere else for him and God to go. And he wasn't sinning anymore. Now, when I heard that statement from Deirdre, I immediately thought about what Dr. Kelly taught us in seminary. You know what he said? He said, in the Christian life in this, in, on this earth, he said, we will never be the alumni of the church. You'll never graduate. You'll never reach that pinnacle on this earth. Why? Because the Bible says the Christian life is a process of growth. The Bible calls it sanctification. That we need to constantly be dying to sin and living to righteousness. And actually, the more we do that, the more aware of our sin we become. Not less aware like the man in Deirdre's class. And the reason is, beloved, because the closer we come to the light of the world, the more Christ's light exposes our sin. The more we see it, the more we realize it. In fact, the more mature a believer comes, the arrogance of perfection is nowhere to be found. Rather, as the Sermon on the Mount has taught us, a humility of being poor in spirit, of being broken before God, underlies our life. So as Peter taught us today, we're to continue to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Growth is something that we commonly see in many places. If you have children, you've watched your children grow. You know, for those of you who have children, do you remember when they were infants, when they were babies? We have three. I remember our latest one, Jack, about, he's five and a half. So about five years ago at our house, there was bottles everywhere, right? Um, April, I imagine there's bottles everywhere at your house. <laughs> At my house, there's the smell of Similac and, and, and you know, bottles in the, 
in the, um, the dishwasher and in the sink. Why? Because babies need milk. They need that, that nourishment. And I remember Jack drinking that milk. But you know what else I know about Jack? I took him to Carabas last night. And you know what he did? He didn't drink any Similac. Oh, he ate salad and chicken and fettuccine, and he even had some dessert last night. Why? Because he's growing. And he runs around and plays all the time. He's growing. He's bigger. He's stronger. He's being properly nourished with the proper types of food. We all know what growth looks like. But did you know when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, he talked to them about their spiritual growth. And he said to them, you should be eating the spiritual meat of the word. But you're still drinking the milk, man. You're still drinking the milk. And there's no growth in your life. And he admonished them for that. And we look at how the Bible teaches us that we should be growing in grace. And we ask the question, how do we grow? How do we be nourished and grow in our faith? And the Bible gives us really three simple answers. First of all, we need proper food for our, for our spiritual diet. We need the word of God. I know I just talked about the Word of God in great detail, so I'm not going to go through all of that again. But we remember it's for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. David in the psalm says that, God, your word I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. God, your word is a lamp to my feet. It is a light to my path. Beloved, if you want to know the will of God, get into the Word of God, and he will feed you with his will. He will communicate his word to you. But secondly, we need prayer. You see, the word of God is God speaking to us. Prayer is our speaking right back to God. And it shows you how Christianity is a relationship. Isn't it amazing that you could have a relationship with the God of this universe, that he wants to communicate to you through his word? And he wants you to communicate right back to him in prayer. He wants you to cast your cares upon him. He doesn't want you to be anxious, but to pray so the peace of God will dwell in your heart and your mind. And he teaches us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And we grow in a relationship with him. But thirdly, we need the sacraments, the Lord's Supper. When we come to the Lord's Supper, we are feeding upon Christ spiritually. And as you're as your pastor, it is my honor to encourage you to prepare for the Lord's Supper even next week, that you would examine yourself of your knowledge to discern the Lord's body, of your faith to feed upon him, of your repentance, love, and new obedience, lest coming unworthily you eat and drink judgment to yourself. Are your relationships right with other people? Is there some sin that is clinging to you that needs to be cast off? Examine that before the Lord. And come and dine with Jesus at the Lord's table. The word, the sacraments, praying. Or the word, prayer and sacraments, beloved. This is how we grow in our faith. We produce fruit so that the world might see that we know Christ. So we have gathering, we have grounding, we have growing. And finally, we have going. 
for the believer who has been gathered by God, who has been grounded in the Scriptures, who is growing in his faith, that believer is not to be idle. He's not to sit on the sideline and watch the game. Played a lot of sports growing up, and I will tell you, I never liked sitting out. I never liked riding the bench. I coached football for a long time, for 10 years, and I learned that some of those athletes play because they love the game and they want to be on the field, and some of the athletes just want a jersey so they can sit on the sideline. Christians, God hasn't called you just to have a jersey. He's called us to go into the game. And when you think about going, beloved, when you think about encountering this world, at least three things come to my mind. God says, as you go, be salt and be light. Salt is tasteful. It brings out the taste of the gospel. It, pers- it preserves. It guards and protects the truth. Light shines. God has called us to shine the light of the gospel in this world. Secondly, he's called us to not be, un- to not be ashamed of him but with boldness and conviction in our hearts to share the gospel, the greatest news that could ever be told with a world that needs Jesus. It's the most wonderful thing in the world to share with someone the fact that God loves them so much that Jesus died on the cross for their sins that they could be saved from the wrath of God and spend eternity with him. And then thirdly, to show mercy. Just as that good Samaritan stopped and got down on his knees, right? He got down on his knees and got dirty. So he could have mercy on this guy whose life was affected not by his sin, but by somebody else's sin. He got down on his hands and knees to show mercy to them. And that's part of going as the Christian. And you can see in this last point that as we are going into the world, we are going with that wedding invitation in our hands, aren't we? We are going to stand in the streets and to invite all of those to come and gather at the wedding feast of the Lamb. If you'll notice, we've ended right where we started. It's circular because those who have gathered and have been grounded and are growing, they're now going to gather. Beloved, this is the mission of our church. So as we close this morning, I have a few questions for you. The first one is this. Are you gathering? Do you have that wedding invitation in your hand? Are you willing to go into the streets and announce the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ that those might be gathered with you in the church? Are you being grounded? Do you delight in the law of God? Are you like that tree who's planted by the stream of water who will not be shaken? Are you growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ or are you still drinking the milk of the word? and not the meat of it. And finally, are you going? 
Because we gather, we ground, we grow to go and make disciples, to be intentional about being salt and light, to share faith, to show mercy to those in need. The four G's. Beloved, this is the mission of our church. And I want you to know that living out these four G's, it brings nothing but glory to God because these things are based on a biblical foundation for the mission of our church. So as we live our lives, as we go out for the mission of the church, let's know that these things bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray with me, please.